Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry, with overpriced, underperforming products, and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. The Links and Locks Podcast. Podcast. Better than most. Better than most. Better than most. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. Hello, you beautiful degenerates, and welcome to Links and Locks, the Action Network's golf betting podcast presented by Bet365. I'm your host, Roberto Arguello. I'm excited to be joined alongside Spencer Aguiar and Nick Bretwish to break down this week's tournament preview for the American Express. We move to the mainland for the third tournament of the PGA Tour season there in La Quinta, California. It is a three-course rotation this week with La Quinta Country Club and two courses at PGA West, the Nicholas Tournament course and the stadium designed by Pete Dye. It should be a really fun tournament as this week's field is much stronger than many American Express fields have been in the past and it is highlighted by world number one, Scotty Scheffler. So hopefully that has created some value down for the rest of the card in a bunch of different markets as Scotty Scheffler has been putting on an historic ball striking clinic for the better part of the last 15 months. So without further ado, gentlemen, welcome in. I will not be giving any picks this week because I am broadcasting the tournament for PGA Tour Live. I'll be on the featured whole stream with Carl Paulson as my analyst. So excited for that. Unfortunately, following Two straight runner-up finishes with Sahith Digala in and Keegan Bradley in the outright market. I won't be able to bounce back this week, so hopefully we'll have it ready next week for the tournament at Torrey Pines, the Farmers Insurance Open. But Spencer and Nick have picks for you, and I'm excited to hear what they've got. So without any further ado, Spencer, what is your best bet for the American Express? I don't know where this price is going to be by the time this show airs because it looks like I crushed this line at some shops Monday night. You can still <laughs> shop around and find a potential price out there. But Chris Kirk over Shane Lowry, I grabbed it at minus 120. There was a minus 125 out there alongside it. The problem with it, though, is I wouldn't be shocked if this closes above minus 150 at, at a handful of shops. Like at the book that I hit it at, it got above that number or right around that number right now. So... I think my advice to everybody would be make sure to price shop because this is going to become a runaway train, in my opinion. And I'll talk about why I believe that to be a case in a second. But I will go with Kirk over Lowry this week. I really like that one. Um, bummed I can't hop in on it. 
Nick, what's your best bet for the American Express this week? The Hammer Kid is back. First time all season. Uh I am going to go with the ball striker out of the Midwest. I think he only lives like two hours away from me or just outside Chicago. But Adam Shank, top 20 or top 40, I'm sorry, where that is paid in full at plus 120. All right. So hopping on the train with the Purdue Boilermaker. Before we get into that cap, Spencer, why are you betting Chris Kirk over Shane Lowry? Lowry was the most mispriced golfer for me on the slate. Uh, I tried to give him the benefit of the doubt with his form over in Europe when I was constructing different portions of my model, but the statistical profile was very challenging to ignore. He placed outside the top 100 for weighted scoring because of his inadequate return when diving into his birdie or better percentage. And then there were additional red flags that popped to the forefront of the equation. When you look into his negative trajectory in my sheet, for how he matches up with this three-course rotation. You know, all those answers are always going to be what I'm looking for of that fade potential that comes into play. But there's also the flip side of that where Kirk was one of only seven golfers who graded as a top 40 participant in all the areas that I weighed metric-wise this week. His victory at the Century and the top 20 at the Sony blended very well with his two top 16 finishes at the American Express in the past three years. And I I just thought it was one of those situations, guys, where the market incorrectly valued Lowry from the very start. And, you know, we could base that off of potentially them jumping off of particular books or different sectors of the space that had him priced a certain way. And I think you're now starting to see that market correction take place to where he's going to very likely be an underdog in every single matchup. And you know, a golfer against Kirk, who I had safety value inside of my sheet, felt like a very good option to take him on with. But as I said, like, this is probably going to be a runaway train because I don't think too many people want to back Lowry in any way. And he does, as I said, at least for me, he's the most mispriced player. And I think for most people, he's one of the most mispriced players with where he opened at. Spencer, I'll also add that this is a tournament that Nick, or sorry, that Chris Kirk has played at several years in a row and he likes this golf course. It looks like a course that fits his eye and Shane Lowry has never played it before. He's playing it because he has to, he didn't play in the century because he wasn't qualified. He finished 96th in the FedEx cup standings after the FedEx cup fall. And he needs to start now. So he in getting points to potentially get him into some of the signature events, which he's not into. So he hasn't played yet this January. So there might be an an element of rust. And we mentioned this is a golf course where there's going to be some variance coming into play. And you want to have a guy who's a better putter a lot of the times. And John Rahm once called this a putting contest in some other words. And Shane Lowry going against Chris Kirk. I want Chris Kirk's putter all day long. So for a variety of reasons, I think I'm surprised that Chris Kirk didn't open as a much more significant favorite. So I think it's a pretty sharp play. Nick, tell me about your Hammer Kid play. Yeah, so for me, one, I'm really excited to talk about uh, Shane, both Shane Lowry and Chris Kirk because I will give a quick spoiler. I did get to Chris Kirk in the outright market, but overall, I was looking for guys that are relatively long off the tee. If they're not long off the tee, I want long iron play with really good proximity and the approach game, but this is a ball strikers tournament. I don't want to say venue because there's three courses out there, but... Uh, I'm looking for ball strikers in good form. Shanks certainly uh, checks that box. He's long off the tee and he can make putts. So 
Um, for me, I was really looking for, I, w- I was going to get there in the outright market. I'm just not sure that re- he really has a lot of win equity in this field. Like you said, Scotty Scheffler is back. We got Justin Thomas coming back to the PGA Tour as well, which will be fun to see him. Obviously, Tom Kim, Sunjay M kind of tears this whole tournament up every single time he hits the turf. But uh, Shank just graded out extremely, extremely safe for me. And that's something that I'm really looking for when I go inside the top 40 market. And then when I can get the ties paid in full, I'll always jump on that ticket when there's 30 points of value. So I had this at minus 115. I was texting Spencer earlier um, that it, you know, getting his thoughts on it. And I seem to have convinced him just to give me a convincing answer. But overall, just <laughs> it's, it's the ball striking. He's fine on the short game if he's going to miss the green. But it's the the putter for me that kind of seal uh, pushed me over the edge there. Yeah, Shank can get really hot. I was a part of the PGA Tour Live's coverage of the Tour Championship. And he was kind of jumping back and forth between some putters. He used the jailbird one day, and then he went back to his normal gamer putter. And we called that round. We saw him pull that putter out on the first hole and confirmed with some of our uh, crew that this was a different putter from the day before. And then I think he led the field in feet of putts made that day, and he went on a tear. So he's a guy who can light it up with his putter as well. The one weakness for him might be around the green. But as he said, this course... If you're not in the water, you're fine. Yep. As long as you're not in one of those couple bunkers that's 30 feet deep. I think the 16th hole is one of those. But the the rough this week is going to be all dormant ryegrass. So there's really not going to be that much of a penalty. It's stone golf, so not a ton of wind either, which will make chips softer and a little bit easier than they would otherwise be. So I think this course sets up pretty nicely for Adam Shank. And you mentioned the 200-plus yards, uh, which are key on this course. He's absolutely got that long iron play, which is uh, part of the reason why he played so well over at Eastlake as well, because there is some commonality between those two. Um, gentlemen, you've broken down your best bets. Let's get into our course preview, which this week is a courses preview because there are three of them. Spencer, I'll give you the first shot at it. Yeah, I would be lying if I didn't encounter at least some trepidation with this event from a modeling perspective because of that helter-skelter approach, if we want to call it that, that you're talking about. The field's going to be required to take on that three-course rotation between Thursday and Saturday. It's highlighted by an abnormal 54-hole cut, and then the pro-am nature that's going to prolong these rounds. I think all three of those factors present their own issues when it comes to handicapping the tournament. It's hard enough to break down one course a week, so the increase of two additional venues is going to only heighten the concerns when you're trying to pull data. The top 65 in ties that make the final day on Sunday will head back to the PGA West Stadium course. That's a venue that they will have played during one of their opening three rounds. That probably at least helps to marginally ease the process where we know where play will inevitably end on Sunday. However, I think the biggest problem to everything I've just said there is there is a removal of stat tracker at the Nicholas tournament course and the La Quinta track that kind of seems to place us back into that same dilemma that we keep running into repeatedly. When I get venues like this and anytime we get a split course rotation or just something that's outside of the norm, I've always found that simplifying the process usually helps when you try to emphasize parallels between the courses. I think without that, you're throwing darts at a board for an event that has very little rollover predictability. So I use short par 72 courses with easy scoring conditions, all landed underneath those parameters. I also think one of the significant corollary trends between all three properties originates from the ease of scoring on the four par fives. It's kind of where the long iron play comes into account there. And 
It's one of the reasons why I, I think Nick is probably on the right side with Adam Shank, top 30 player in my model in uh, proximity from outside of 200 yards. But golfers who have demonstrated an edge on those par five holes have typically been the ones who have catapulted themselves up the leaderboard. Still think the final es essence of all that answer or all those answers I've given will come down to how you handle the marginally more difficult stadium course because you do have multiple holes that have water that come into play. I would say some combination of total driving geared towards accuracy is going to matter there. You are correct, Roberto. There is the rough is not going to be the penal nature. It's going to be if you go waywarded into the water. So you need to avoid water. Water always heightens the volatility at the end of the day. That's why Florida golf courses, whenever we go down in that area, you kind of get these uh, mixed bag results where if somebody hits the water, all of a sudden they've eliminated themselves from the tournament. But uh, there is extensive bunkering. That's that tournament avoiding danger with the water that I talked about. Do think finding the fairways will be imperative. But uh, for me, it kind of comes down to find the fairway. You have one of the highest birdie or better percentages on all courses when you do that. And then control your iron play into these greens that are going to be, they're overseeded Bermuda. So it's going to be this very pure little grain. I don't know if we've talked about this before of what that exactly means for putters in the field. I always tend to think that the really good putters get a boost and the really bad putters get a boost because if all of a sudden their ball striking acumen can come to the forefront of the discussion, then they get their little surge that I'm looking for. And that's going to be kind of what you see in my outright card of how I built it this week. But um, I would say that those three, it's like kind of that three pronged approach is where you need to be looking. I think that makes a ton of sense. And putting will be key. We know that John Rahm lost strokes putting last year, but once again, the shot link data only applies to the two rounds at the Pete Dye stadium course there at PGA West. So if you're looking for the data online, be sure to take it with a grain of salt because half the tournament, we don't know what's going on. And you mentioned the par five scoring. I believe all the par fives are under 560 yards. So it's going to be like driver six iron for a lot of these guys coming in on those par fives. You could argue that some should even be par fours, but par doesn't really matter. We know the total strokes add up no matter what the par is. Nick, anything else that you incorporated into your model that Spencer didn't touch on? No, that was spot on. I love it. Awesome. Let's hop into the outright market. And Nick, I'm going to come back to you. Who you got on your card? You mentioned that you might have Chris Kirk. I do. I got Chris Kirk at 50 to one, which seemed pretty interesting to me. Like sure, you know, the equity or the probability of winning again, just two weeks later, especially in this field is probably, you know, lower than it should be. But I have Chris Kirk at 39 to one as the proper price. So to get 50 to one that high up the board to get that much of a discrepancy in my implied probability to the books, I'll take that every time. This guy is just in great form. He is lighting up the ball striking at the century, did it again at the Sony. I'll go right back to him. He could be at a great field. We saw it two weeks ago. I, I think he could do it again this week. He's going to be accurate off the tee and that swings just pretty much an autopilot. We've talked about that the past couple of weeks. I did roll the dice on Justin Thomas at 27 to 1. That mm. was a little bit of a number grab. I have him at 24 to 1. And then Tom Kim at 28 to 1. I feel like this is another great course for Tom Kim. He's deadly accurate off the tee. His approach game may be second to none right now. And we do have the top six finish last year. And then I went up the board to some long shots. Aaron Rye, 125 to 1, kind of made me throw up in my mouth, but he graded out as an extreme value for me. Let me tell you what my price was on him. I have him at 77 to 1, so that's probably one of the biggest discrepancies out there. 
can't really putt, wow. so I, I don't really love that. But you know, he is a great ball striker, so it could get hot. I'll take the just the price grab there, and and then two more. Alex Smalley, one hundred and ten to one. I'll let Spencer talk about Alex Smalley because he wants to do that every single week. <laughs> and then our boy, we haven't talked about him in a long time. His game kind of disappeared, starting to come back into form. Great ball striking last week. He is long off the tee, can hit long irons. Used to be accurate off the tee, so if he can just continue the i guess the very small sample size of his game coming back to form kh lee 140 to 1 all right deep shot with kh lee there spencer would any uh thoughts on those guys specifically alex smalley i i would love to grab a 27 to 1 number on justin thomas i'll start there um i'll uh, i'll be happy to run that for you if you just want to Venmo me <laughs> offline i'll charge just you know like a 12 percent big well, when it wins, <laughs> I will I will be sure to kick back something in your direction. But I, I think that's a savvy wager. Um, there's that boomer bust nature with Thomas, but that's kind of the market that I would want to attack him on is any of the upside areas there. Feels like a good course. Smalley graded well for me. I mean, that's not an uncommon answer for me to yeah, give on surprise. every single show. When you look <laughs> at a ball striking course, Smalley always <laughs> brings those intangibles to the mix. Um I didn't get there this week. I've kind of sworn that off for the time being, but really good on these easy scoring courses inside of my model, inside the top 40 for me. When you look at uh, comp courses in general of what I ran, the biggest upside total that I had was in being six on the strokes gain total, easy scoring plus short courses narrative it. We have seen a lot of these golfers kind of in this particular range or beyond even. I mean, Chris Kirk was 200 to one. You look, uh, last week, Grayson Murray got up to, I believe, over 500 to one at some books uh, by the time that that was going off on Thursday. I do believe that when you have one of these easy scoring contests, a guy like Smalley can win this contest. And um, I would be curious to ask Nick this question, I guess, before even running into my card. Did you have, I mean, obviously you have some form of trepidation with it. Like it's, you're not going to feel comfortable with the Scotty Cantlay, that whole brigade of players. But um, how much were you when you built a card trying to avoid the outright market because of the top of the board? Or how much were you trying to take them on? Because I think those are two completely different things. Definitely. No, I think that's a great question. I was going to bring that up too. So for me, if I would have punched an outright like at extremely short odds, it probably would have been Patrick Cantlay. I think this is just a, a great fit for his game. He tears up easy scoring courses. And my kind of defense to there was who can I get that I think is a misprice and ended up getting two of them that can kind of combat them and, and you know, maybe hang with Scotty Shuffler, or Patrick Cantley, Xander Shoffley. I think they, you know, everybody would agree those three have the highest implied probability of winning this tournament. So that's kind of how I decided to shape my card with Justin Thomas and Tom Kim is if I can get two of those guys, maybe get a run with one of the hot, you know, putters of Patrick Cantley or Xander Shoffley. I'm not going to say that for Scotty. It's going to be ball striking for Scotty, but that was kind of what I wanted to do. I was either going in and I was going to lay, you know, 0.6 units on Patrick Cantlay to win and then a couple long shots, or I was going to split it up to two guys in that 25 to 35 to one range. And then that also left me room for Chris Kirk. So I look at it as I could take JT. It's a little more roll the dice, but you know, with what the PGA tour is now and more guys leaving for live and no John Rom, like we're probably not going to see a Justin Thomas price near 30 to one ever again this year, unless he, you know, completely craps a bed this week. That's very possible, but he was really coming in the form in the fall swing. So I'll roll the dice there that we're not going to see 25 to one, Justin Thomas, even ever again. 
except for maybe in a major, I guess. And then Tom Kim, same thing for him. I think that this is a 20 to one golfer. I think JT has the upside to be a, a 12 to one golfer like Cantley. We've seen it in years past and that's kind of how yeah. I rolled the dice this week. Yeah. Those have historically always been the mistakes on Justin Thomas where the books have made. I know he's been a different player in the last 12 months if we want to you know, date it back to last year. But I noticed inside of my model, any single time if we want to date this back to two, three, four years ago, Thomas always had the biggest ebb and flow with his price that he would have. And he would go down the 12 to 1 and then he'd provide a couple bad results and then they would boost him up into that 27, 30, 33 to 1 range. And a lot of the tournaments that he kept winning is when he was going off the board at those like 30 to one prices. And if there's any reason to believe that Justin Thomas is back, which I kind of tend to believe that this is going to be more vintage Thomas this year than what we have seen 12 months ago at around this time. It's too large of a price once you start boosting this over 25 to one, in my opinion. Maybe not as long of a layoff as Berger, but I feel like for JT to be around 30 to one, like we'd be talking like two, three month injury layoff and he comes back, he's still going to be three to, or 30 to one. So yeah, I'm, I'm all on JT this week and he's been very vocal about his game. Smiley Coughlin has said that it's in a really good spot too. They talk a lot, obviously. So I'm really excited to see him play this week. Sure. He's very volatile. That's what, kind of what I'm okay with in the, in the outright market. But again, just a number grab that I think that price we're, we're just not going to see it again this year. So we know that JT missed the FedEx cup playoffs last year. I think he was 71st top 70 made it. And he finished the FedEx Cup fall 78th in the FedEx Cup final standings. Do you guys know what his strokes gain total is? Or do you guys have a guess at what his strokes gain total mark was last season? I could look it up, but no. Off the top of my head, I mean, can I... I know it. I want to hear what you guys think it would be. I'm going to say it's inside the top 20. I'll say... what do you think? I'll say 0.75 strokes positive. Okay, so it's 0.836, so pretty close, and it was 27th. So he played some pretty steady golf. Like, he didn't play great. He putted the ball very poorly for most of the year. So he couldn't but, putt at all in the summer. He was His putter was dead. Yes, completely. But he was making most cuts. He was cashing checks every week. He just wasn't finishing in the top 10 every week. And now it looks like, his approach play, at least over the last couple of weeks or the last couple of starts from the fall, um, where he played a few worldwide events, finished in the top five in all three of his starts, uh, one of them at the Fortinet, another fourth place at the Ned Bank Golf Challenge in South Africa, which I believe Max Homa won. And then in the Hero World Challenge, he was third, only 20 players in that field. So take it with a grain of salt, not a real golf tournament, not a very strong test of golf either in that exhibition event. But overall, Solid golf, gain strokes on approach in all three rounds, gain strokes putting in all three tournaments, and gain strokes putting in two of the three. I think there's a lot of reason to be very optimistic about Justin Thomas, not only this week, but throughout the year on the PGA Tour. And for my money, Justin Thomas, when he's in normal form, should be priced around the same as Patrick Cantlay, Xander Shoffley, and the fact that he is two and a half times longer, almost three times longer. There's an opportunity there, um, whether you want to use him in the outright market, top five, top 10, maybe one and done before somebody else uses him. I think there's a lot of intrigue on Justin Thomas and going to be very excited to see him play golf on this course. Um, it's a Pete Dye stadium course, which there's another one across the country down in Ponte Vedra Beach. And we know Justin Thomas won that tournament just a couple of years ago. Um, this is not nearly as stiff of a test. And one other weakness for JT is he can get wayward off the tee, but as long as he's dry, 
he'll have a great chance of making birdie no matter where he is. Um, he's almost got a little bit of Jordan Spieth in him in that sense that he can make some birdies from some ridiculous places because of how he uh, can shape the ball both directions. So very excited to see him this week. Spencer, I'll let you finish your outright card. Yeah, I'll touch on the Justin Thomas as a one last parting note on that, and I'll move into my card. Uh, I ended up bringing up his strokes gain data as you were talking there. 13th for me in the field last year, if you look at the strokes gain data uh, compared to everybody else. I think the big key to that, though, is number one for me when looking at expected performance on these short par 72s and on easy scoring venues. So that's kind of where the upside comes into play beyond anything else is this is a really good course fit for him. But I'll move into the outright card. I'll talk about players that I currently have a ticket on. I might have that Justin Thomas ticket once I talk to Nick when we get off the show here, but <laughs> I started with another golfer that I thought was just too inflated in price with Tony Finau at 40 to one. Like guys, what would a links and locks episode be if one of us didn't bet Tony <laughs> Finau every single tournament? And I understand the concerns with the putter. We have heard players, Roberto, you just mentioned this players have called this that are no longer on the PGA tour, a putting contest. You might want to add a handful of expletives to that sentiment to get the full effect <laughs> of what was said there. But it's starting to feel as if the price has seen too large of a shift, even if he has lost with the flat stick during nine of his last 13 starts. I have noted this on the show before. I've noticed that Finau recently with his total driving isn't quite what it may have been a few years ago. My model seems to think that he receives a boost in production when given a short test versus these lengthier setups. He jumped in my sheet from 36 to 14th in expected total driving when mimicking it for these three tracks. All of that makes the top 10 returns for projected proximity that much more interesting if the market wants to boost his outright total to the point here of where he entered at 40 to 1. Do think that overseeded Bermuda texture that I talked about, that carpet-like feel on these greens, that might help a putting stroke for him that has gone south recently. And if that ends up being the case, the sky is the limit if he connects on fairways and creates birding opportunities with his iron. So... All three courses have some of the highest returns for birdie or better percentage when you do find the short grass off the tee. Uh, top 10 totals for me and expected total driving, weighted proximity, birdie or better percentage from both on the fairway when you're inside the fairway and overall for this week. Add all of that together, you get an upside profile here at an increased price that I'm willing to punch a ticket on. And then I ended my card with Siwoo Kim at 50 to 1. This is one of those spots with Siwoo where every single player, and I mean legitimately every single player that had a similar projected upside profile inside of my model, got boosted into a sub 50 to 1 mark. He was the only player that landed outside of that. The floor is lower because of the recent form profile that hasn't cracked the top 10 and 11 starts, but the 2021 champion of this tournament has some highly encouraging returns in multiple areas of the board. He gained in all areas outside of putting at the Sony, including what has now become over 20 straight starts off the tee. The iron play also generated a significant shift for me when he gained a 34 spot improvement in weighted proximity to crack the tournament's top five overall. I, I keep going back to the same answer that if you can make putts out here and it's easier putting, and I think this is how Siwoo is capable of winning a golf tournament. Those are the golfers that I'm trying to pinpoint in. I would probably give a very similar answer. I know I keep going back to it, to Justin Thomas. It's these guys that at least have the potential to spike here and there. And even if they can just be neutral like a ROM was or around neutral like ROM was when he won, 
you have the potential to win this contest with the ball striking acumen that you bring to the table. It's how Siwoo won the Sony Open a couple uh, years ago when he won it. I think it's the potential of how he can win this contest at 50 to 1. And it's not like we haven't seen historically from him. He can win a big contest with a star-studded field. Like, that's not out of the norm for him. So I thought 50 to 1 was a good number for the upside that he possessed. I want to touch on a couple of the guys you mentioned there. Um, first off, Siwoo Kim, I think, is a great fit at this course because you need to play aggressively. And Siwoo Kim is one of the few players on the PGA Tour who won't always take the statistical smart move of playing to the fat side of the green where there's more room for error. Siwoo Kim is firing at pins. And I want somebody who's going to play aggressive if I'm betting this week. And Siwoo Kim is one of those people. Uh, the problem is that you have to putt to get the ball in the hole most of the time. And we've seen Siwoo Kim. Uh, we, Nick and I, I think especially, have ridden this roller coaster of, with him. Uh, last year, he was on... Too many times. The, he was, yeah, last year, he was using the broomstick putter. And one of my personal favorite moments, quick story, uh, I think it might have been at the Wyndham. It was one of the last few events of the year where I was watching the PGA Tour live coverage uh, on the main feed. And Craig Perks, who I think was the analyst, and I think he's going to be the analyst on main feed again this week uh, with Taylor Zarzer. But anyways, Perksy had been following the Siwoo Kim group the whole day, and Siwoo Kim on the 18th hole, par 5, needs to get up and down for birdie, chunks his chip, and then chips it again past the hole, has a four-footer for par uh, when you think you're going to make birdie, and he misses it. I don't even know if he touched the hole. And Perksy's talking about how, oh, well, Siwoo... He has been very mature. It's been a frustrating round, and he's really handled this round well. And then right, right after he says he's handled this round well, you see Siwoo spike the broomstick putter. And that was one of the last moments of last season that I remember from Siwoo Kim. And this year, we see him for the first time at the Century, and he's no longer using the broomstick putter. He's got the normal short putter, um, and he can confirm still miss putts with the short putter. So it's an absolute roller coaster, but he's got great form on this course, obviously a winner here a couple of years ago. And like we said, there's only shot link data for two of the four rounds, but every single year he's played at this course. Um, it's been five years that he has track data. He withdrew one year, all five years. He has gained strokes putting on this course. Yep. And another similarity with Tony Finau, another guy who, Last year was putting pretty well at the beginning of the season, but then really fell off a cliff after he won in Mexico. Tony Finau has played at this course, I think, five or six times. I have it right here. He's played this tournament six times. Every single time on the Pete Dye Stadium course, he has improved his strokes gained putting number from the year before. So there's reason to be optimistic for Tony Finau. Maybe he's figured these greens out. Maybe he's just got a level, level of comfortability that – he doesn't have at many other courses. And last year, this was his second best strokes gain putting week, at least on those two uh, days at the stadium course of any course on the entire season. So I think there's reason to be optimistic about his putting in this specific spot. And like you said, Spencer, it this course with the greens that are easy to putt on will help some of the worst putters out a bit. And I think that's right in the alley of Siwoo Kim and Tony Finau. Um, so a lot of reason to be optimistic for him there. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. 
Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. One other aside on Tony Finau, a couple weeks ago at the Century with the biggest fairways in the world, we know that Tony Finau has an extra gear. We've seen the shot tracer videos of him getting the ball speed to incredible numbers. Why wouldn't he just open it up a little bit and go after it at that tournament um, if you're going to do it anywhere where you can't miss the fairway? Um, I think this is another tournament where he could let it loose. I don't think it's going to happen, but it would be fun. No, he's um, he's ultra conservative off the tee all of a sudden. I don't really understand that. He posts videos of 200-plus mile-per-hour ball speed and then wants to play some of these par fives and take it 270 off the tee straight into the rough. So I, I don't really understand <laughs> what he's been doing. But look, I mean, I understand this answer I'm going to give. You have to make putts to win a golf tournament and – Maybe I'm overblowing this narrative of these being very easy putting surfaces that anybody can make putts. But if you remove putting from the mix, which is a very big ask from here because you're going to have to make putts to win, the three largest risers for me inside of my sheet for win equity or for any way that I really want to run the data, Scotty Scheffler, Siwoo Kim, Tony Finau. I'm not going to get there this <laughs> week on Scotty Scheffler, although I kind of been a proponent that every single tournament he should be about five to one to win. Uh, it mm-hmm. just takes so much exposure to go that route with it. If I can get the exposure in a different way with Siwoo and Finau that kind of bring uh, maybe not the same upside potential that Scheffler does with the ball striking, but their own version of it, that if you just had any semblance of putting with them, I think they're going out and they're competing much more than they are. That's kind of the route I want to take. There's one other player I want to mention, just because I want to get your guys' thoughts on him, because I have mm-hmm. gone back and forth of wanting to punch a ticket over and over. I know the recent form has been just horrific across the board in all the areas that I don't want it to be bad. Like it's one thing if you're striking the ball well and you're missing putts and I'm doing that route with Siwoo and Fina where I think there's upside. It's another when it's just been bad across the board. I guess I'll ask you this, Nick, Ricky Fowler. I've seen him drift up to 70 to one at some shops. I mean, at what price does it actually become a tangible wager to be punching a ticket on? I would punch a ticket there at 65 to one, but I, I'm not into Ricky. I think he's overpriced, especially in the DFS market as well. Did not check a lot of boxes for me this week. I Complete. did give him a good look, but I, I couldn't get there. The most boomer bust person I had on the board for the most part of a, a golfer that let's say is sub 70 to one. The floor was super low. The upside was pretty high in comparison to where he was priced. I haven't ruled it out yet. It's just I, I'm very concerned with some of the metrics that he has put together recently. Yeah, same here. Yeah, Ricky's in a weird spot where last year 
he was absolutely rolling the rock, looking like the old Ricky Fowler being one of the best putters on the PGA Tour with that uh, Odyssey Jailbird putter. But since the FedEx St. Jude Championship, he's lost strokes putting in every single one of the four PGA Tour events that he's played that have been tracked and struggled in the Ryder Cup as well with the putter. And off the tee, lost strokes each of the last two tournaments significantly. Significant losses. So I'd be a little bit hesitant, but there's a price for everything, guys. So um, I'm intrigued to see where this ends if it keeps falling past 80 to 1. But I just don't know that he has the firepower to win this event with this strong field, considering where his putting has been lately. Um, And because he is not going to hit the ball as far and you got to there's not as much penalty for missing fairways. I think a guy with higher upside, like a Justin Thomas um, and other big name players can also take advantage. And I think that hurts Ricky quite a bit. Maybe the direct uh, correlation comes into play. If, if he drifts far enough down the board in the outright market, maybe it's the top 10 potential. If that number continues to ascend that, that might be something to look at of how to play it because I do want to bet the upside on him where I agree. I don't know if he necessarily has the firepower to win, uh, but he was one of the biggest climbers for me when I looked at overall rank versus upside versus the floor number. Like the floor for me is outside of the top 40 and there's really no golfer that was like sub 70 to one that fell that far. So he was like the one significant decliner in that way, but he was also the one significant mover and upside and, um, maybe a top five or a top 10 is the way to go with that. Then I think that might be the smart way to play it. But once again, this is a guy who set the U S open scoring record last year with a 62. So he does have upside. I don't want to say that he doesn't have upside. Um, gentlemen, we talked about this last week. I thought it was a fun segment where we mentioned the worst golfer who could have won the tournament or sorry. We didn't bring up Grayson Murray's name, uh, last week, but, we had other guys in that range. We mentioned Carl Yuan, who was in the conversation. Um, I'm virtually certain he had a chance to win last week. But where does the line drop for you guys for longest odds who can win this week? Because we've seen in this tournament a lot of long shots win in the past. I know that this year there are more big names at the top, which means the likelihood of someone at the bottom uh, or someone more toward the bottom of the odds board is decreased just because you got to dodge more bullets with Scotty Scheffler, uh, Patrick Cantlay, Xander Shoffley, a bunch of other guys at the top of the board. But there's still some guys out there, and we know that the course rotation brings in more variance. Spencer, we talked about offline how if you're not in the water, you're fine. But if you're in the water, that's going to give you a bigger penalty than maybe um, you would expect. So it just brings in more variance. So a lot of variance potentially in this tournament. So with that being said, if you want to sprinkle somebody into your DFS lineup or try to hit on a third consecutive long shot at 200 or longer to one, who are some guys that you think could be in the conversation this weekend? This one's easy for me. You guys ready for it? Yeah. Should we all say our three? (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll go to Wilgo, 200 to one. Give me Will Gordon. I think this is a much better course for him. He can kind of let it eat a little bit and spray outside of the water. Um, mm-hmm. Just, you know, go hit it in the rough, have a one-way miss, and I think his ball strike, the guy gains strokes putting at the Sony. That's, I don't know if that's ever happened. Mm. So I will, uh, I'll take a shot. If I had to, at 200 to one, I think Will Gordon, and maybe, what about like 
Countaren at 350 to 1. I like both of those guys. I think Will Gordon, you mentioned he gained strokes putting at the, at the Sony Open. He's actually gained strokes putting in each of his last five tracked PGA Tour tournaments. And the two that he didn't gain strokes putting, uh, there were no strokes gain metrics available. And he finished in the top 21 each of the two. So maybe some signs of life from Will Gordon. And we mentioned around the green, it's not going to be super tough. So that is by far his biggest weakness in his game. So this could be a sneaky spot for a Will Gordon uh, for Will Gordon upside. I Shane like Kim too. Let's just say that he uh, last time he played here missed a cut on the number. That's Ball where striker. I thought you were going. That's the name I would have yeah. blurted. <laughs> That's out. a given. That's uh, he's already on my card. Auto populate every week. <laughs> Spencer, um, how about you? I think for me, maybe Robert McIntyre at two hundred to one. Um, I don't know if he can make enough birdies here to actually win. I guess that would be my concerns, but top 20 returns in weighted strokes gain total and projected scoring. A lot of that reason came down to his par five scoring ability that he does have mixed with the fact that he is a great bogey avoidance player on some of those more difficult holes that are going to present problems for the field. Like it's a, it's an easy scoring contest, but there are hiccups that can be found because of the water and all that. So I thought he was interesting. The other name that I want to at least throw out there, and Roberto, I will let you correct the pronunciation for me on this because I'm sure I'm going to butcher it, and fair warning for everybody out there. I think Pavon would be somebody worth considering at like 200 to 1. I believe it's Pavon, but I'm not completely sure. So hopefully we are. I'll go with you, Roberto. There's no way Spencer's right. Simple as that. I mean, I get it wrong almost every single <laughs> yeah, week on these names that are 50 Roberto, 100%. Uh, I have one tournament that I'm pulling in for him from the PGA Tour. I did decide to pull in some other data that I had on him. You're going to get a wonky return in the early parts of the season because of that, but uh, there were some really intriguing numbers for him. I, I don't know what the best way to play him. Maybe it's on a DFS site beyond anything else. Uh, he does seem to be really getting some traction in other areas of the market. So I, my model liked him. Like that was a limited data sample size, but top 30 return for him and McIntyre. So like they were the two players outside of 200 to one plus that at least had some of that potential. I will say that Kevin, Yu is 450 to one. He has no business being that low. I mean, and that's a, that's a good, he's not going to win because you have to put disrespectful. I'm, I'm very intrigued. Um, Michael Block is plus 125,000. Remember last year when he was only minus 200 to miss the cut and Spencer absolutely hammered that and I think it was like minus 500 by the time he teed off on that Thursday morning at Colonial Country Club? That was a play yeah, I mean, of the year. He should, he should be a trillion to one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Gentlemen, let's get through the rest of the card. We mentioned the outright bets longest guys we think on the board who have a chance to win who else do you have on your card i'll start with you nick now i'm going to go chan kim top 40 plus 333 where ties pay in full um are obviously talked about adam shank i want to get your guys opinion i was texting spencer about this too very limited data watched him a little bit on tv last year when i watched him college golf a uh, smu guy so not too far away from you roberto but mac meisner top 40 plus 350 he was one of the best ball strikers in college from what i saw on tv i don't watch a ton of college golf so let me get that out there but like when i was watching i think it was a tournament where him and obear were not playing match play or anything but like they like i saw both on tv and i was like dude this this kid belongs to he hits it long 
he was shaping. I think he was hitting draws and fades on command when he needed to and was a lights-out iron player. So I don't know anything about his short game or his putting. I know that he finishes um, often. Let's see. His T for T three at the Corn Ferry Championship. I did not watch that. I'm sure there's probably some streams online if I wanted to go back. But was a awesome iron player at the U.S. Open. I think that was the first time I remember like seeing him play. I don't think he was even close to making the cut. But the guy's swing looked like he belonged on tour. So I don't top, have a top, top of forty information on him. Top forties plus three fifty. I think the best odds out there to make the cut is plus one thirty. So I don't know if that's even worth it with the with the three round. I mean, it's tough for my model to even comprehend the 54-hole cut. I haven't figured that part out. Um, so I'll go with plus 350, top 40. Yeah, I don't have a ton of data on him. Um, so I just don't know what conclusions I can draw. I can tell you that I did play some junior golf tournaments against him because he's from San Antonio. Oh, nice. Um, okay. And his brother also is like friend of friends uh, who's also on the Corn Ferry Tour. And his caddy, Mac Meister's caddy, played in a two-man competition against me in a first tee like battle between san antonio and austin and we kicked their ass of course but um other than that i don't have any useful information on mac meisner i uh, believe this is going to be his first pga tour start because he wasn't because ha- about half i think like 18 or 20 of the rookies on the pga tour which he is from the corn Ferry tour 18 of the 30 uh, who got their card got to play in the Sony and then the other 12 or so didn't get to play. And then also the guys from Q school didn't get to qual didn't get to play last week unless they got through the Monday qualifier. So this week's really going to be a watch and learn about a lot of those players just because we don't have much data on them, but I'm very intrigued. And from what I've heard, this is a guy who's got some upside, but hasn't won on the corn Ferry tour yet. And I'm still just waiting to see. Fair. I think I'd rather go Chan Kim then at, 333 top 40 if the boys had to choose the uh, lighting money on fire play of the week. <laughs> Chan Kim won two of his last six starts on the, or two of his last five starts on the Corn Ferry Tour and looks like a guy who's pretty long off the tee. So some upside there. Let's do it. Spencer, anything else you got on your card besides the Chris Kirk matchup play against Shane Lowry and the outrights? I mean, Nick, do you have a problem with Robert McIntyre plus 200 for a top 40 if Ty's paying full there? No, no, I like I like Robbie, Bobby Mack. I'm, I'm all in for that. He's super cheap on TFS, too. Yeah, I mean, that's you just the... take him and Chang Kim, you could afford the world. So if you want to win a million bucks, go do that. Yeah, I, I haven't actually punched a ticket yet. I, I do think with the go-ahead there that Nick just gave, I, I probably will punch it. I thought 200 had value there. A little bit of boom or bust uh, potential inside of my model. Uh, I talked about that with the easy scoring that gave him a downgrade across the board. But as I said, top 20 in my model for weighted strokes gain total and weighted scoring. Um, I think there's potential there that if he does pop, he can pop maybe even a little bit further up the board if you wanted to play it slightly higher than that. I think at some point it might become too high, but a top 20, top 30 uh, was another route that I was at least considering. A little less exposure that way. Uh that's always something interesting for me when I'm trying to lighten these cards in the placement markets. Do you guys so, have any love for Scott Stallings? Similar price range. I think similar volatility. Good ball strike. I mean, he's going in the water. There's no doubt, though. I feel like anytime I have any exposure to Scott Stallings, he is just hitting hazard after hazard, and I just watch him plummet. 
I'm probably out because of that reason. Good long iron player, which is a positive. Yep. That's why um, he's great and well for me. He has some metrics inside of my model that that like him at some of these shorter par 72s and things like that. But I I, I guess like the, the to answer that question in in the correct way, Nick, we're talking about golfers here that are extremely volatile. I mean, these are boomer bust targets to where Scott Stallings comes in last place because he finds the water five times on the first day. Like that it's not gonna be a shock, but do think when you're down in this lower tiered option range, we're trying to at least attach onto something of why there's potential that one, they can make the cut. And if two, they make the cut, they can present a little bit more upside to land into yeah. some of these, you know, top 30 or top 40 zones. So I think when you get down into that range, like unless you're going to tell me Michael block, I'm probably going to listen to most of the reasonings behind it. But uh, my model didn't necessarily love him. It had him just outside the top 100 overall, just inside the top 80 when I reran it for safety with some of the back end stuff. But that's still pushing him outside of any of those top 40 zones for me. I will also add that for Scott Stallings, he's played this tournament 12 times before, and he's only finished in the top 50 two times. They were both top eight finishes, one T4 in 2013 and one eighth place in 2017, but not a lot of consistent good play. <laughs> There's no consistency in this game court. at all. No. And, so. and that's probably where the answer comes into play, though. Like, I keep going to the same sentiment over and over again with a lot of these golfers, but if you want to get exposure to Scott Stallings and you like him, you're probably just better betting it way up the board and hope that he provides one of those top 10 or 20 finishes than to get stuck into that top 40 zone. Like, just get as much, as little of exposure as you can in some of those areas. I think that's a... Uh, a savvy way with the placement markets holding as much juice as they are to just yep. pick and choose your spots. I think some other guys who could be worth a flyer in the top 10, top 20 market. Um, Alejandro Toasty is intriguing. I think okay. he could be somebody. Uh, Hayden Buckley, we know is a great ball striker, but he's really been struggling lately. Um, what are the chances he puts it all together? Davis Thompson, just rode a really hot driver and some strong approach play to nearly being John Rahm here last year. So we know that's possible. Um, Joel Damon, who is everybody's favorite player among PGA Tour players right now because he led, I think, an extra 13 or so players into the weekend last week with him missing a, a four-footer that would have given him a birdie and moved the cut line from minus two to minus three. Instead, he let all the minus two guys in because he parted. Um, Man of the he's people. another guy who I think... Yes, you would like to have distance here, but it's not a prerequisite to contending. However, in a stronger field like this year, I think you're going to have to have some more distance than you've had in the past. And Damon is someone who can play aggressively and get you some of those four-footers for birdie, but we know that's not always going to go in the hole. Um, gentlemen, want to use this opportunity to remind you that Links and Locks is presented by Bet365. Bet365 doesn't do ordinary. They believe that every sport should be epic. Every touchdown, every game, every point, every play, from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today with code ACTION, that's A-C-T-I-O-N, and you'll get $365 in bonus bets when you bet just $1. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. Must be 21 or older only. 
must be present in Colorado, Kentucky, Iowa, New Jersey, Ohio, or Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, Kentucky, New Jersey, Ohio, and Virginia, or 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Terms and conditions apply. Gentlemen, I don't want to have to lock you in here because I know we're all in this Action Network competition together, but one and done, how are we feeling uh, about this week? I can get us going. Um, I'm still very much up in the air. Last week, I was between Poston and Harmon, and I chose wrong um, because Poston ended up in on 59 watch on Sunday, and I think he got around 300 grand, and Harmon only got about 100, around 100 or maybe 70. Um, so Spencer and I had Harmon. Nick, who did you have last week? I had Poston until eight hours before oh. tee off. I switched to oh, no. uh, yeah, Mister. What a dumb move by me. I mean, it's the second most predictive course on tour, and I play a debutante who's overpriced, and I, I have no one to blame but myself. Matthew Fitzpatrick is who I went with, and I earned zero dollars. That's oh. great. That was okay. So for me. I have a few guys I'm considering. I don't necessarily want to back the top of the board because I think there is some variance involved on this course, these courses. But at the same time, there are a couple guys and Justin Thomas and Sung JM whom I'm very bullish on. Um, and I think they could be even priced shorter in the outright market. Obviously, I'm not betting this week, but those are two guys I'm very intrigued by. Uh, right now, if I had to lock a pick in right now, I would pick Taylor Montgomery for my one and done, though. I am very intrigued about his change in his swing where previously he would be swinging and he's making contact with the ball and he didn't have as much uh like lag where his hands are in front of the ball and previously the the club head was um at less of an angle with his hands and his head was looking over at the at the at the hole instead of at the ball. And so it just meant that everything's got to go perfectly for him to strike the ball well. And now that is all much more technically sound. And if you look at last year's results on the PGA Tour for him, he never gained more than 0.7 strokes per round on approach in a tournament in his rookie year. In his most recent start at the Sony Open, he gained 1.8 strokes per round on approach. So more than double his best round last year. And two of his best three rounds as a PGA Tour member on approach have been in his last two starts on the PGA Tour. So I think there is a real chance that he is a much better golfer in all iterations of the market than he's being priced at. So if I were betting this week, I would absolutely have a, t- a ticket on him at 55, 60 to 1 to win this golf tournament. We know he was in consideration here. He was in contention here last year. And if we're going to go to a piece of shit putting contest, why not do it with one of the best putters on the PGA Tour? He can putt well with his putter, even though he had a hand. He has a handmade white paint job on his spider putter, uh, <laughs> which is kind of sus, honestly. Like somebody can do that for you, Taylor. You have the money now, and you will have the money after this weekend. So right now, if I had to lock somebody in, it would be Taylor Montgomery. Gentlemen, who are you in consideration for in the one and done market this week? You want to start, start with Nick? Nick? Yeah, I was. Uh, I was leaning Tom Kim or Sunjay M. It's interesting, right? Like, if you look at this tournament, first place is, I believe, 1.512 million. So it's going to be outside of those top 12 paydays. It's it's not one of the big events that's going to be paying over, you know, three or four million dollars. 
I feel like the most popular selection in contests will probably be Sungjae. My model also mm. likes Sungjae. I don't necessarily have a problem with him. The course history looks great. Um, the data is exactly what you would want to see on it. I haven't ruled him out of consideration yet. I still think that he's like one of the five options that is going to be like where I'm going to be choosing from. But I think for me, it's one of three players as of this moment. It's either going to be Siwoo Kim, Tony Finau, or Justin Thomas. And uh, there's positives and negatives towards all of those answers. I worry ever so slightly if I use Thomas, I might be going a little bit early. And mm -hmm. if all of a sudden he shows that he's completely back in, you know, three months, I may have wanted to use him at the PGA championship and you may take some cards off the table there. I think with Finau, he's always a very popular pick at a tournament like the farmers. I don't think people are going to necessarily want to play him here. So I think if you play Finau, you get him alone. I think Siwoo, um, we'll see where the ownership ends up landing with him, but it's probably going to be one of those three, but if I'm going to miss my first cut of the season, it probably comes here because that's about as volatile of three options as I can think of that I, I think have real upside, though. I have a ticket, a rogue ticket. I've never bet on a market like this before for Finau to win the Mexico Open at, for, to win the Mexico Open this year. And that 18 to 1, uh, which I normally don't wade into those waters. But last year, only two elite players played in that event, and that was now and Rom and Rom's obviously not on the PGA Tour anymore. So I didn't know how many big name players would be in that event. That's probably the one where I'm saving Finau for. So, but I think it makes sense to play him in a tournament like this one as well. Just uh, for anybody out there, if you're going to save Finau for one event, I think it might be that one. That makes logical sense. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with the sentiment that you want to get ahead on Justin Thomas, but also he's one of those guys who might be that good where you want to use him in one of those eight designated events uh, where you get your most bang for your buck. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, we're almost at an hour, so I'll run through this quickly. Talking about guys whom we haven't discussed in much depth. Patrick Cantley and Xander Shoffley are plus 950 and 12-1. to 1. If I gave you a free outright ticket on one of those two guys, which one would you take, Nick? Can't lay. Can't lay for me also. All right. Tom Kim, 22 to 1. We, uh, you guys mentioned Tom Kim. Let's go to the 30 to 1 range. Minwoo Lee, he's been cooking over on the DP World Tour. He's 30 to 1. JT Poston got close last week. I know Nick was on him. He's 32 to 1. If you had to punch a ticket on one of those two guys, whom would you rather have? I'm a full fade on Minwoo Lee this week in, in every market, mm. so I'm going to go with JT Poston. I hope Minwoo collapses this week and we get a better betting price on him uh, in the future and potentially next week uh, for the farmers. Mm, I like that. Sam Burns is 35 to 1. Eric Cole's 37 to 1. And guess who? Jason Day is 37 to 1. Uh, Spencer, you're not allowed to bet on to get the Jason Day <laughs> ticket, but who else would you take among those two? And I will, I do want to hear your Jason Day thoughts for this week as well. I well, I mean, I heard Jason Day, and I, I can't even give a response right now. All I want is like the the free money and the free ticket that goes into play with it. I, <laughs> I, I think Day's very interesting for a course like this. You look at any of the comp courses inside the top five for me, uh, inside the top five at Pete Dye tracks at Jack Nicholas tournaments in third place for both short par seventy twos and short courses that have easy scoring. 
there's a lot to like about him. I, I believe from an upside perspective, that's an answer that I give quite frequently. So uh, not a shock that I would go in that direction, but at a different price, if you could have made the outright ticket a little bit higher, I probably would have been highly intrigued in that area. I, I don't know. I'm curious to hear Nick's thoughts on Eric Cole. Cause as much as my model likes him, I, I, I do believe we've reached a point here where he's, really challenging to bet on anything that's like sub 50 to one. He's just not winning golf tournaments. And these tickets, if you're bet backing them every single week, they're really starting to add up. Yeah. I'm not a Eric Cole guy. I probably need to start looking into him a little bit more because he is just a lights out safe top 20. I mean, he makes every damn cut too. When's the last time he missed a cut? Does anybody know? I think that? he's made 17 in a row. And maybe that's a little bit of where the pricing comes into play. You just, you know, books use those automated totals that they're pulling there and kind of just equating that into the top five and 10 numbers. So um, he's consistently producing in that area, which might be subsiding what the price should actually be based off of that reason. But uh, Cole's a fantastic golfer. I just, I don't know if the win equity is quite where it needs to be to be paying these prices. Yeah, I'd be out He has there. made exactly 17 consecutive cuts. And Nuts. in his last five starts, he's finished no worse than a tie for 14th. Yeah, it's one of the phenomenal best iron players in the world right now, too, isn't it? Yeah. It's pretty incredible um, how this guy has gone from being a minor league golfer <laughs> to one of the best on the PGA Tour, reigning rookie of the year. Uh, give this man his flowers. He's somebody who I think is a great fit this week with the way he plays aggressively. Uh, having played minor league golf, where you got he's playing in some tournaments where it's a hundred, two hundred dollar. Uh, entry fee and you win a thousand dollars if you win the tournament and there's a hundred players in the field so he's he knows how to play aggressively and he's shown it and now that his putter uh and iron combination is just about as good as there is on the pga tour just off the tee how can he get it done um moving down the board Wyndham clark is 45 to 1 and uh, we touched on most of these other guys. When you when Clark's 45 to 1, I'll get you guys out of here on this one. Any thoughts on him this week? I know there's some rumors about him potentially going to live. Um, 45 to 1 in this field, I think, interesting. What do you guys think? I'll start with you, Spencer. I would need a little bit more than that. Like, if, if you gave me 60 to 1, that would probably be my buy-in point for Wyndham. Um, top 15 for me in projected win equity this week, but just I think that some of those prices are a little too short right now in the market, but I, I don't have anything negative to say about him. I, I do think he's a quality golfer for this course. Yeah, I, I'd echo that. I don't really have any strong thoughts, but I wouldn't get there at that number. Gentlemen, anybody between 60 and 100 to 1 whom you have a bet on that if you had to get a free bet in, who would you use it on? Some of the guys in that range, Batia, 65 to 1, Hadwin, Putnam, also 65 to 1, Steven Yeager. Cash, I'm a Yeager. My I was best say. Last week, he's 75 to 1. Uh, Noren's 80 to 1. Smalley's 80 to 1. Daniel Berger, who's playing for the first time since the 2022 U.S. Open, he opened at 45 to 1 on Bet365, our sponsor, on Monday morning. He's now 90 to 1. Uh, kind of parallels to what we saw with Wills Out Taurus last week, opening around 30 to 1 and drifting back to 100. Bo Hostler's 90 to 1. Davis Thompson, who nearly won this tournament last year, is 90 to 1. Shank, whom uh, Nick already has a, a ticket on, is 90 to 1. Taylor Pendrith, 90 to 1 as well. Billy Horschel, 90 to 1. And of course, Cashmere Keith, also 90 to 1. Keith. 
if you're giving me a free ticket, like I would like to recoup all the losses that I've taken on guys like Steven Yeager, Alex Norin, uh, Keith Mitchell, Alex Smalley. Those are names that have come up. I mean, if you if you were to actually count how many times I've mentioned those players in some market over the past two years, I think that they would probably be topping the charts there. So I would probably take it on one of those four. Um, my model liked each one of them. They were all inside the top 40 anyway. I ran it. I think that they're interesting course fits here. I just couldn't get there at the prices that they were, but all were very close or all were very close to having value. So th- those would probably be my four to just give a very – Simple answer that gives a bunch of names. Nick, August, how about you? Steven Yeager and Taylor Pendrith. Love it. I, I love Pendrith. I would, I'd be very intrigued by him if I was betting this week. Uh, gentlemen, we're over an hour, so I'll get you out of here. Nick, where can we find your content the rest of this week? At Sticks Picks on Twitter, S-T-I-X-P-I-C-K-S, and then at Win Daily Sports for the uh, Divisional Round Playoff DFS breakdown over there. Um, that's that's pretty much it. And then uh, at Better Golf Pod for more of a DFS breakdown on the slate for the Amex here with Spencer. Awesome. Spencer, where can the people find your work this week? You can find me over on Twitter at Tioff Sports. You can get my model and any of that data over at Rotoballer. And I will be providing content throughout the entire week here at Action Network from both a pre-tournament and in-tournament perspective. Awesome. Should be some fun in-tournament angles with this week with there being the course rotation of course if you're look if you have one of those rogue books where you get a first round leader for all of the mar- all of the courses you might want to look at the la quinta course uh, but maybe there's some angles in tournament and spencer will be on top of it so looking forward to reading your analysis there i will not be giving out any picks this week but i will be on pga tour live i'll be on stream for the featured holes gonna have three par threes and we actually have a par five this week on our featured hole. So I think it's going to be a lot more fun than it has been in the past. I always think that having the holes where there's greater variance is a lot more fun than just doing the par threes where it's easy because you only have to have a couple, we have to have fewer cameras than a par three, par, than a par four, par five. But I'll be on the featured hole stream on PGA Tour Live with Carl Paulson. So hop on in and watch some golf with us this week. It should be a fun, uh, it should be a really fun tournament. And you can also find me on Twitter at RobertoA213. Want to give a huge thank you to our executive producer, Matt Mitchell. Shout out to him and all the action squad for killing it this weekend um, in the NFL and bankrupting some books on all their K. Dotten props yesterday. Uh, once again, you can find Spencer on Twitter at Tee Sports. You can find Nick at Sticks Picks. Want to give another big shout out to our producer, Noah Niederhofer, who wakes up in the middle of the night to edit this and get it out there as soon as possible for everybody. And I want to say we've got a bunch of great content here at Action. We've got one and done picks from Matt Gannon. we got our best bets. Jason Sobel's got his huge mega guide as well. I know he also likes Taylor Montgomery this week. He thinks this could be the week for Bo Hostler as well. Uh, so be sure to check his stuff out. We've got price picks, first round leader articles coming out tomorrow on Wednesday. We're recording this on Tuesday morning. And then we got our best bets that'll be live by the time you listen to this as well. So no matter how you approach gambling on golf, you can find angles to ch- that you can tail on Action Network on online or on the app. So thanks again for tuning in to our show. And here's to hoping that we hit the green this week in La Quinta, California. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. 
If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.